So we're going to continue this conversation about marriage. So before we even begin the discussion, let's go ahead and start the reading. We need to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And we need to read verses 21 to 33. Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. Let me go ahead and make a little disclaimer to those watching online. You may have a little bit of uh, freeze in the, in the broadcast this morning. Uh, it's an internet speed, and we are working diligently. And by the way, just say thank you to that group of tech people back there that make a lot of things happen every week. I appreciate them. And uh, while we are standing here calm and collected, they are back there many times frantically trying to figure out what's wrong, and it's not their fault. So thank you all, and, and for you online, thank you for being patient with us. All right, so again, the book of Ephesians, six chapters, 155 verses, three verses on what you're supposed to, I mean, three chapters on what you're supposed to believe, and three chapters on how you're to live what you've been told to believe. He starts it out with us where he says, I want you to be united. I want you to work in unity. He says that not only does he want us to work in unity, he says, I want you to grow towards maturity. He said, I don't want you to live like you used to live. And then he talks to us, when, after he says, I want you to have unity and I want you to have maturity, he begins to address the most important thing, the most important relationships in our life and, lives, and those are the ones that are in the home. He starts with marriages, then he's going to be talking about um, parenting and some other things, but today we're still in the marriage, so let's go to Ephesians 5, 21. Submit to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject um, to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, and he's quoting out of the book of Genesis, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Fathers, we approach your word this morning. God, we approach it with some clarity, and we approach it also in lack of clarity in some areas. Lord, we know that through sin that what you intended was distorted, but yet your word is true, and through Christ you tell us to work to restore what you originally intended. 
So God, this morning we, co- we come confessing that we are weak. We come confessing that we don't understand all things. We come confessing that we need you to interpret through your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that our ultimate desire will be that we strive to live out what you have instructed us in these verses. So Holy Spirit, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that is have spiritual discernment. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul begins by telling us, you're not going to understand everything. That's why he called it to us a great mystery. But remember last week we said a mystery in the Bible or in the New Testament understanding does not mean something too complex or too deep for humans to understand, but it refers to a hidden purpose of God that is now revealed for our understanding and enjoyment. So what he's telling us is what he intended between God and man, he is now using the act of human marriage to reveal to us a greater understanding. He said, what I intend and what I desire for The church, or for me and my people, I want to live out for you marriage, human marriage between a man and a woman is a metaphor for that. And so this mystery I'm revealing to you, he says, the way that I set it up was that Christ was the head of the church and the church was to submit to Christ. He said, I want the same thing to happen in earthly marriage. He said, I want the husband to be the head of the wife, and I want the wife to submit to the husband as Christ would submit to the church. Now, again, those words have been distorted, and submit, and headship, and all of those things have become bad words. But remember, it's not God who was bad. It was sin who made what God said bad. So as the church, we've now got to begin to understand. Now, when he says, husband, be the head of the wife, that also has been distorted, not, uh, not as, it was distorted and is not as God intended because many have taken that to say, I'm in charge, I'm the man, you do what I say, when I say, where I say it, and how I say do it. That's never what God intended. In fact, he gave us the example of what he meant by headship when he said that Christ so loved the church that he gave himself up for her. It was not to be pointed out as a position of domination, but a position of servanthood to the one that he loved. Christ gave himself up for his love's possessive sake. And he says, now husbands, I want you to do the same thing. So it is a mystery. Jeffrey Bromley said, As God made man in his own image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. So as we're going to understand this idea of how to be a husband, we've got to go to the perfect husband who understood how to live it out and demonstrated for us so much that he left heaven to come to earth and walk among us and be that example. So the first thing that I meant that I want us to understand is that Jesus is the standard for our manhood. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God came to call them into account, it didn't matter that Eve had sinned first. In Genesis 3:9, the question was, Adam, where are you? 
you, the one that I have put to be the head, the one that I have been to put to be the protector and the provider of the family, where are you? That's God's word to the family today. Adam, husband, father, where are you? If something's not working right at your house and Jesus came knocking at the door, even if it was your wife's fault, he would say, husband, where are you? Because he said, I have appointed, I have made you the head. It is in the life of Christ that we learn how to live this out. We see the standard and the challenge of biblical manhood. In Revelation 5.5, Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. In Revelation 5.6, he's called the Lamb of God. Now that's an easy thing to uphold, wouldn't you agree? In one moment you've got to be the Lion, and the next minute you need to be the Lamb. Dude, that's a challenge. That's work. God knew it was work. That's why God made the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to empower you, to enable you to do what God called. When we look at the life of Christ, he was strong and meek, tough and tender, aggressive and passive, angry and compassionate, bold and brokenhearted. He led a movement and he followed one. He was an always tempted and did not sin. And men, our call is to be like him. Jesus. The head of the church calls us to be the head of our homes. In verse 23, let's go back and look at it right quick. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Now that as also is really kind of loaded in meaning. We like to read, For the husband is the head of the wife, Period, stop, shut the book, and say, everybody obey. Would you agree? That's the interpretation. And also, that is the failure at the same time. But it says, husbands as Christ was. Now, that's a lot more study. In fact, that's probably an entire series of messages or a Bible study on what all was Christ to the church? But he says to us, husbands, as Christ was this, I want you to be that. We define our role as men and as husbands by examining the relationship that Christ had with the church. And no matter what all it means, and it means a lot, the clear point is this. We have a responsibility to lead in our marriages, our homes, and our churches as Christ led his bride, the body of Christ. We have the responsibility to do it with humility. We have the responsibility to do it with confession when we sin. We have the responsibility to seek out what it means to lead inside the home with our children and with the church. So, Christ is our standard. The husband as leader. Last week, based on a definition from John Piper, we defined headship as the divine calling of a husband, divine calling of the man, the husband, to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Now, I'm going to tell you that I believe that that is one definition with three parts. It's leadership. It's protection. It's provision. It is, and really it is one thing, leadership expressed three ways. It's Christ-like, 
servant leadership that offers provision and protection. Okay, so it's Christ-like. It's leadership that offers provision and protection inside the home. Now, if we're going to make this bold statement, if we're going to go counter to culture, if we're going to go contrary to what's comfortable, if you will, then we, if we're going to make this kind of statement, then I believe that we absolutely need biblical, clear biblical instruction and a mandate to live this out. Because it's going to require men to step up where they don't want to go, and it's going to require of women to do something that fights against the norm. Especially when men don't step up. And so let's look at the biblical mandate or the biblical answer to the question of headship. First of all, headship equals leader in the Old Testament. Judges 11.11 says, So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. So there's a text, a proof text, that says that this understanding of head and leader runs side by side with each other. Not only does it say it there, but if we go to Ephesians 1, 21 and 23, it states that Christ is above every name that is named, and God has put all things under His feet and has made Him the head over all things for the church, which is His body. So again, we've got this title with this responsibility. We've got this title with this calling, a divine calling. All right, now Ephesians 5, 23 and 25 teaches, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the highest form. This leadership, this headship that he's speaking of here is the highest form of leadership that you can have because it is servant leadership. You've heard me say on other occasions, you're never more like Christ than when you're serving someone else. Jesus, the model, said, Husbands, you're the head. But it's not a head of domination. It is a head of servitude. It is serving. It's by, by your service to someone, you're leading them to the direction where they become and experience all of God's blessing in life. Guys, listen to me. That is an overwhelming task. And men, if we did a breakout session on this right now, and we said, list all the ways that you do it well and all the ways that you believe you failed, I absolutely believe that most of us would find more ways that we drop the ball than we pick the ball up. But still, we are given this charge. Is headship synonymous with leader in Scripture? Yes. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He said, I want you to be the head of your family, but I want you to do it by taking up your cross. I want you to do it by following me, by laying down your life for others. So what can we say? Jesus took the lead in suffering for his love's sake. And now he says to you, to me, men, I want you to take the lead by sacrificing for your love's sake. Now we've got to, to expand that because to say I will sacrifice 
may be simple to say, but very difficult to do. So what does that mean? Relationally, with pleasure, with physical, with finance, with all of those things, that's where it falls. And so that's the standard. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, this is what he's saying. It, that's why you would say that leadership is no much, not so much a right and a privilege, but a burden and a responsibility. So again, going back to our understanding of the definition. Headship, the divine calling of a husband to take the primary, and I, I, let me stop right there, primary responsibility, not sole responsibility, primary responsibility to lead. Sole responsibility means if you don't do it, it doesn't happen. Primary responsibility means that you recognize your strengths, your wife's strengths, and together you take the initiative to make something happen that ultimately builds your marriage and glorifies God. So it's primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection and provision in the home. Now, where in this text, because again, it's got to be in the text or it's an opinion. So where in this text do we see the idea that leadership takes primary responsibility for protection and provision? Go back with me to verse 25, where it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Protection that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So this idea of protection comes in the words, he gave himself up for her. How did Christ give himself up for his bride? He went to the cross and he died. He was crucified. He made the ultimate sacrifice. No greater love has any man than to lay down his life for another. In 1 Peter 2.24 it says, He bore our sins. He protected us from our sins. Our sins were our damnation. And he stepped in and said, Not only will I pay the sin, but I will become the sin for you. Galatians 3.13 says, He became a curse for you. Cursed is any man who hangs on a cross. He bore your sins. He took your curse. He gave his life. Romans 5.8 says, While you were still a sinner, while you had sins to bear and, and separation from God, it says he died for you. Romans 5.10 says that he reconciled us to God and saved us from God's wrath. If there was ever an example of of leadership that took the initiative to check to protect his bride Christ is the example can we just give him a hand clap of praise for being that one do you understand what he did for you you were eternally separated you had no hope and Jesus stepped in and he bore it so that you could enjoy it and that's what he's calling us to do as husbands. So there is the idea in Scripture. There's the proof of protection in Scripture. But there's also the proof of provision. Let's go back to verses 28 and 29. So husbands ought, should, must love their own wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That's provision. Nourish and cherish. Protection is sacrifice. Provision is nourish and cherish. Anybody, what does the NIV say? Say it loud for me. Or another translation instead of nourish and cherish. Does anybody have it? Is anybody looking at their Bible? I'm just kind of curious. <laughs> Need and feed and care. So nourish, cherish. Feed, care. That's the idea here. It's an idea of provision. The, the husband takes the primary responsibility for being the one who nourishes and cherishes his wife and his children. Now, interesting enough, this idea of nourish in the Scripture is most often used for parenting, raising children, and providing them with what they need. But the part of that meaning that applies here is not the husband is to parent his wife, but he is to provide for his wife. He is to be her caring provider. It's better understood if we go to the book of Genesis 45:11, where Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says, um, There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come. So the husband, that's the servant leader, the husband who is the protector, the husband who is the provider, takes the initiative to make certain that the needs of his family are being met. But it's not just that we nourish, we're to cherish. Just as Christ does the church. The, the word for cherish is used by Paul one other time to refer to his love for the church at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 2.7 it says, We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. The point was not to belittle or demean the church. The point was to emphasize the tender care that he had for that church. The husband is to have Protection, provision, and to cherish. It's tender care. So how would that play out? You know those massive mood swings that are very hurtful, demeaning, cutting, I've heard some of y'all's wives give testimony. Gail's never mentioned it. You know what I'm talking about, though, seriously. That's where it is. It's cherish. It's nourish. It's build up. It's edify. It's to help them become what God has called them to be. It's not a stretch. Hear me. It's not a stretch from Ephesians 5 to understand the divine calling of the husband is to, buy, to bear the primary responsibility. Do protection and provision matter? Yes, they matter. The world system is fighting our families, our spouses, and our children. There are people whose declared mission it is to destroy your home. They're unapologetic about it. There are people whose their declared mission is not only to destroy your marriage, but to destroy the lives of your children. You need to understand that. And so as the provider and the protector, it matters. 
Because hear me, clearly understand this. The ones who want the next generation the most are going to get them. And you need to hear me. The world system is motivated, active, and well-funded to come after your home. The world system is motivated and active and well-funded to come after your children. Husband, dad, as the provider, the protector. You need to know what they're watching on TV. You need to know what social um, apps they're on, what social media outlets they go to. And then you need to know, once you know which one's their own, ask them which one's the account you see, and then which one is the account that their friends have. Truth, you need to hear me. You need to find out what things like Tinder is. You need to find out what some other things are, and you need to get into their lives, and you don't need to apologize for doing it. He says, I want you to nurture, protect. When we think about this idea of protection and provision, there's physical provision, there's food, water, there's shelter, there's spiritual provision, there's Bible, there's worship, there's godly living, there's physical protection, intruders, disease, and natural disasters. You need to know where they are, who they're with, and what they're doing. Talking about your children here, not just necessarily your wife there. You need to know what's going on in your home. Spiritual protection. Pray for your children. Battle against ungodly influences and teach them biblical truth. So let's look at those categories. Spiritual provision. To provide spiritual food, you must know spiritual food. To provide spiritual leadership to your children, men, you need to know what spiritual leadership is. You need to know what it is when you pray. You need to know what the Scripture is encouraging you to do. Let your wife and your children know that you're praying for them. Share with them the truths you have learned from the Bible. Demonstrate for them humility. Let me tell you a danger I see among parents right now in, in, and even in husbands. We get so disconnected. We get so disconnected. And then something happens. And we come in wielding the sword. You can't talk to my kid like that. You can't do this. And we begin to attack the ones that are actually maybe protecting them because we feel so disconnected that we want to make a, a last stand, a show, without digging into what really happened. I'm sure teachers see it all the time. It's demonstrate humility. It's get into their lives. It's know what's going on. Let them know that you're praying for them. Demonstrate for them humility. Be the model for them regarding church attendance. Teach them and talk to them about giving back to God, community, and family. We all have a responsibility to give, to give back. Explain to them the value of serving others in the name of Christ. Teach them they have personal responsibility for home, church, community, and ideally lead your family in prayer and scripture reading. This is not your strength. And I will tell you, in our home, Gail has been more the one that said, 
and led with devotions with our children. I don't say that with pride. I say it in to tell you just that's how it is. If it's not your strength, support your wife as she leads. Don't look to block it. Don't look to make fun of it. But be there to help make it happen. You don't have to be, again, it says primary responsibility, not sole responsibility. Women, what women rightfully long for is spiritual and moral initiative. This is what Bromley said. What women rightly long for is spiritual and moral initiative from a man, not spiritual and moral domination. What women rightly long for is spiritual and moral initiative from a man, not spiritual and moral domination, and I will even add perfection. Okay? You have not failed as a leader, thank Jesus, if your wife is smarter or more competent in an area. Leadership does not assume it is superior. It does assume that you should take the initiative. Physical provision. The husband bears the primary responsibility to put bread on the table. This does not mean the husband is a failure if his wife makes more money or contributes to the finances in the home. But it does mean that a man compromises his self-worth and sends the wrong message to his wife and children when he does not position himself as the one who lays down his life to put bread on the table. In other words, you live in a home where your wife contributes to the finances or your wife makes more money than you do or you are um, physically disabled or momentarily because of some position or what's going on in life, your wife does more. Doesn't mean that you failed. Doesn't mean that you're worthless. But at the moment that there was not food on the table, that you would sacrifice whatever it took to make sure your family was there. They would see you taking the initiative they would see you doing without. They would see you searching for the second job. They would see you, if it was necessary, walking door to door asking, May, can I feed my family? I can tell you this. Most often here at the church, and we deal with people multiple times a week, it is rarely the man that comes to the door and says, My family is hungry. It is most oftentimes the mom, the grandmother, or some other female family member. Biblical headship would be that if there was a, an embarrassing or moment of humility that had to take place, that the husband, the man, would be the one. So men, this is a challenge to us. Ladies, if you're looking for a husband, this is a challenge for you. Is he, or is he going to sacrifice for you and your children? Is it, or is he always going to be first in line? 
What are some things that I have learned in hindsight? Lessons from an almost old man. Think through what will be allowed on TV. If your child has a television in their room, what are the blocks on it? What are we watching? What are we allowing on TV? What movies that you will introduce or subject your wife and your children to? What music will be listened to? What social media apps can be accessed? Husband, father, teach your son how to treat a lady. Do it by treating their mom the right way. Respect and support. Teach your daughters how they should be treated by a man. Take them out on a date and show them what respect looks like. Meet their boyfriends. Ask questions. Don't be apathetic or afraid here. This is your daughter. Bringing him in the house and say, with a mean face, you know what I'm talking about? Like one of them that says, you don't give me the right answer, I'm throwing you out the door face. You understand what I'm talking about here? Meeting. Asking. Gail and I took two of Dallas's potential boy friends through the Song of Solomon. Man, they talk about pomegranates and a lot of things in there. You need to hear me. But you want to know. You want to know what that young... Because listen to me. He is a young man created by God. And we're all pretty mature in here. We know what they're thinking. We can't condemn them for thinking what they're thinking. Because that's the way God made them to think. We can't condemn if they're thinking that way about our daughter. And they need to know. They need to be righteously afraid of you, Dad. I don't think it's wrong. And dads, talk to your young men. Because here's a question for you, men. If your daughter brought you home, follow me. If your daughter brought you home, would you be excited she was dating him? You hear me? If your daughter brought you home, would you be excited? I think that's a fair question. And so, either we've got to teach them to follow our example, or we better man up and confess and teach them the right way. Because please do hear me on this. There's a lot of lives ruined by the patterns and the choices they make between 13 and 17 that put them in a no-win situation going forward. Husbands, you're the provider. You're the protector. You're to nourish. You're to cherish. There is those things. Another example of how to lead in the home. We find in a four, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it just simply says this. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now listen to me. That's impossible. So now you need to understand what it really means. 
what it means is this. The primary responsibility for reconciliation in the home is the man. If I could meet the person that never went to bed angry at the person they were married to, I think we could write a book, take a picture, and make a million dollars. I just think it's going to happen. So it doesn't mean that you go to, don't go to bed miffed. I mean, truth, I guess it really doesn't mean that you don't get in the bed and roll over and look the other way sometimes. But I think that what it means is when there's a separation in the home, it's the primary responsibility of the man to bring it back. If you want a list of people that I think could help you understand this, if you will Facebook message or text me after church, I think Gil and I could give you a really good list of resources that would help you become a better man of God, a spiritual leader in your home, a godly wife. I think the resources are there. It's not from lack of knowledge that we perish. So again, if you want those, you can ask us. We'll sit down, compile a list, and I believe that we can give them to you, and they will be very helpful. So what have, we, what have we said to this point? There's spiritual provision. There's physical provision. There's um, physical protection. If there's a sound downstairs or on the other end of the house during the night, and it might be an intruder, you don't say to your wife, I went last time, it's your turn, you go now. <laughs> okay? You don't do that. That's not physical protection. She might have a black belt in Taekwondo. And after you get knocked out, she may kick him in the solar plexus and kill him. I don't know what's going to happen. But you need to be knocked out. Protecting your family. If there's a mouse in the house... You may be straight girl squealing afraid of that mouse. But you need to brandish whatever weapon you need and go in there after that mouse. At my house, if there's a cockroach, I don't care if you're in the middle of a shower when I had hair, there was shampoo in it. You had to grab a towel and you went running. Because we could move over a cockroach. You need to hear me. The neighbors have come and checked on us over a cockroach. Man, I have caught him with my bare hand and stomped him with my toe. You need to hear me. There was a snake that lived loose in our house for we don't know how long. Not a worry. But when the cockroach ran out, run out, it was time to do something. Actually, we found that snake in my shirt pocket. I had put some stuff on the floor for uh, dry cleaning, and he had got in my shirt pocket. I thought that was kind of rude, because when I picked him up, I found him. <laughs> Physical protection. Listen to me. That's written on your soul. That is put into your DNA by God. You go up against the enemy first. And man, I love the physical protection part because that just plays into my... Uh. But hear me, that also means spiritual protection. And that doesn't make me go... Uh. 
It honestly makes me want to weep. When I think about all the times I picked up what I liked and I set down what didn't bring me woo-hoos. And the God is telling us, stand up, do it, be the man. Oh, I tell you what, let's do. Let's do something fun. All the men stand up. All the men stand up. All right, on three, you ready? On three, Cindy, you are not a man. But thank you for standing. All right, listen to me. On three, I just want us to as loud as we can in our best man voice. Like it was at your football game yesterday voice. You understand the one I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about? So, on three, I'm the man. You ready? One, two, three. I'm the man! Yes, let's do it again. You ready? One, two, three. I'm the man! Man, and you need to listen to me. People, want, people are dying for, to find a man. And they're dying to find a man of God who will stand up and love and protect and provide. You guys are it. Now, how do I know that? You can be seated. Thank you. How do I know that? Because Philippians 4.13 says, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. God doesn't call you to a place that He doesn't already provide. He says, I will go before you to the places I have called you. That's what the Scripture says. There is hope for you. I don't care who you've been, where you've been, or what you've done, or what you haven't done, there is hope for you as a husband. God will empower you. We're called to do some hard things. Leadership is not easy. That's why Jesus didn't say, pick up your fishing pole. He said, take up your cross. He said, take up the thing that you're going to die on, that you'll die for your family. That's what he says. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Leadership's not easy. But you're a man. You're a man. And inside of you dwells the Holy Spirit of God. If your father never taught you how to lead, your earthly father never taught you how to lead. Your heavenly father stands ready today. Will you call on him? And will you ask him? In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for mentors, for scholars, for authors, for theologians, for counselors. Thank you for a wife that gets it, that encourages towards it. I thank you for a dad that, that provided. I thank you for a dad that protected. God, I thank you for the men in this room. God, today, we're asking you to help us reclaim biblical manhood. Our time of response is in two parts today. The first part is, I want to ask the ladies to stand.
Men, you stay seated. I'm going to ask ladies to stand. The first part of our response is this. I want you to pray for the men in your life. Uh, If you're single, I want you to pray for the men that are going to be in your life too. I mean, once you pray for the men in your life, pray for the men seated around you. That we would man up and be what God's called us to be. Father, I thank you that male and female, you created them in your image. You gave us roles. You gave us responsibilities. And most importantly, you gave us yourself to be our model. To be our strength. To be our wisdom, our guide. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the completeness of the Godhead. God, I thank you that you provided salvation, provided for salvation. Jesus, I thank you that you purchased our salvation. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you presented to us salvation. And that you indwell us every day since. You know, the second part of our invitation is and I invite you all to stand now. If you do not know that Jesus is your Savior, as always, we invite you. Do not delay. You come this morning and say, I want to know. I want the relationship. I want to be the the man of God, the woman of God. You come. We can tell you how to have Christ in your life. Men, perhaps you want to come and say, Lord, here I am. I don't know how to do it, but I'm ready. I'm reporting for duty. I'm I'm, uh, available. Then I invite you to come and pray here at the steps. Ladies, you're praying for someone in your life. You're asking for their wisdom, for their protection, for their provision. Then you come. If you don't have a church home, by all means, you come. And we want to be your church family. We want to walk this Jesus journey with you. And so as the worship team leads us, and God speaks to you, publicly, privately, don't ignore the voice. Respond. Let's take a stand today. In Jesus' name, amen.